I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. It's your round one recap. We're just starting. We're live just after midnight here on Friday morning. Sam, you ready to go? Long day. It's been a long day. We're still not anywhere near finished. No, it's, it's been a six-minute day. Seven minutes even. That's true. It's Friday. It's yeah. a whole new day. Whole new and I just finished my coffee. I'm ready to go with your round one recap, Sam. Madness. It was another crazy draft this was awesome starting with number one overall started with Trayvon it happened it happened it did so we'll we'll recap um, as much as the the, of the big storylines as possible probably won't get into the guard picks right now but I just want to go we just want to recap all of round one of course thanks to everybody that joined the PFF live show and hope you'll just stick with us into the wee hours of the morning here as we recap round one but it started with Trayvon Walker yep going number one overall to the Jaguars they did it they went with the athletic projection over Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, and look, we've we talked about that pick to death on the lead up to the podcast. And I it's been done now, and it's easy to crap all over it and say, look, this isn't the pick we would make. The guy's got no production, it's a complete project, et cetera, et cetera. But we genuinely haven't seen an athletic profile like Trayvon Walker. And I think the story coming out of this draft is so much about what this draft didn't contain, right, in terms of elite talents at the top, in terms of quarterbacks that people want to um, invest in, all these things. And if you're, if you're Jacksonville sitting there with number one overall, what are you supposed to do in terms of, like, do you just take the single? Do you just take the easy, the guaranteed, decent player? Or do you go, no, let's try and go for something special. Now, if that was your attitude, I think there should have been more of a discussion about was Derek Stingley in play or was a wide receiver in play? Those positions that are really going to move the needle in terms of wins and losses, PFF war, the most important positions. But if we're sticking at edge rusher, I, I, there's a case to be made, right, that Trayvon Walker has the highest upside of anybody that they could draft. And for Balky to go out there and go, look, this is what we're doing. This is the pick we're making. I respect the guts it takes to do that. I want to I want to ask about the receiver component here because AJ Brown has been traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. Marquise Brown was traded from the Ravens to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we're going to break that trade down on the PFF NFL Daily. How many teams in the first round ahead of the Eagles would rather have AJ Brown plus his contract? How far up do you have to go? Like when you look at what the Jets came away with, that's great. I mean, Stingley, uh, sorry, uh, Sauce Gardner at four. Garrett Wilson at 10. Mm-hmm. But if you said before the draft, like instead of picking at 10, you're going to get A.J. Brown and his contract, knowing that the Jets, hey, they were in the Tyree Kill sweepstakes. They, they wanted that move. If you're the Jaguars at one, if you had the choice between A.J. Brown 
in $25 million a year or Trayvon Walker as far as what is going to win football games for you and move the needle for your franchise. Yeah, but I think for the Jags in particular, like, you don't just need to move the needle and get better and what, like, which gives you a bigger jump? Absolutely, A.J. Brown is contract. But you don't just need to make one jump. You need to make, like, seven. And it's about what what is a piece that enables us to make jumps two through seven, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And if you have A.J. Brown's contract, you might not be able to get all the way through seven. You might stall out at four or five because you run out of money because you're paying A.J. Brown $25 million a year. So I, there's a, there, the contract is, is so important. That's why Tennessee trade him away in the first place, right? It's why San Francisco are potentially looking at, you know, they, Debo might not be there because all of a sudden you've got to pay Debo that kind of money as well. NFL teams just get so freaked at the prospect of having to pay a good player good, good money because you only have so much money to divvy up that it, be, it torpedoes um, draft value. So I don't think for the Jags it actually makes that much sense. I think there's a lot of other teams that could potentially have been in that market or should have been in that market. But Jacksonville, they need the rookie contract as well as everything else. I, I just love so much of what the Eagles did overall. I, I'm, I'm excited and, and a lot of stuff happened. I don't want to jump around too much. Let's go through the top of the draft a little bit more. But Trayvon Walker goes one. Yep. And so you've got that projection. Jags end up trading back into the first round. They get Devin Lloyd, the guy that we had as the, the highest-ranked linebacker for most of the draft process. A lot of t- people, we expected him to go top 15. He ends up going to 27. Jags traded up with the box to get him. And they're coming away with two pretty good defensive players there. Lloyd um, is just a good it's just a good all-around linebacker. Good uh, coverage skills, excellent run defender. So overall, the Jags... We'll see with with the Trayvon Walker thing. But the Lions at two, they get Aiden Hutchinson, the guy that was number one on the PFF draft board, the one we expected to go number one. And then they make an aggressive move, man. They come up from 32 all the way to 12 to get Jamison Williams, the speedster out of Alabama. And, you know, we've got some cool new features on PFF's draft tracker this year. So if you go to PFF.com, find the draft tracker, um, PFF.com slash draft slash tracker. You'll see all these picks input as well. But what we have now is uh, the ability to vote kind of live, right? PFF users tell you who you would pick, like who's the pick you would, you would make at this spot, and also whether you like the pick that actually got made. And just contrasting picks number one and two um, with Trayvon Walker going to Jacksonville and then Aiden Hutchinson going to Detroit, obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you know we'll like one more than the other, right? Aiden Hutchinson over the Trayvon Walker. And the listeners... So both picks, the users would have picked Aiden Hutchinson, right? Jacksonville fans, Detroit fans, either way, the PFF user pick would have been Aiden Hutchinson. 95% of the Lions picks or the, the Lions fans liked the Aiden Hutchinson pick at number two overall. That number is 21% for Jacksonville at number one overall, selecting Trayvon Walker. So there's a big disparity. Now, I'm, I'm sure that this there's we we've influenced that a little exactly bit. yeah right i but it would be interesting to know like what the what the honest jacksonville fan opinion of this is versus the well this is our guy now let's let's immediately start pivoting towards the upside and the athletic potential and blah blah, blah. like if you've got in a vacuum honest jacksonville fan like you are now speaking for the fan base would you really have rather aiden hutchinson yeah, I think so. I think you'd rather Aiden Hutchinson. We'll see, though. The upside play with Trayvon Walker, I, I, I think the Lions win out on the Aiden Hutchinson, you know, dropping to two. 
Um, and it's an aggressive move, man, to go get Jamison Williams, right? So I, we, we're not going to go pick by pick because we are going to have – we'll have division recaps all throughout next week. Who who do you think wins? The Jets. In round one here. Who are the best teams? The, I agree with the Jets because here's the deal, man. Let's let's just – let's take the pulse of the NFL this offseason. It, it's not – it's not like run defenders that are getting traded. It's not, I mean, the pass rushers are making some moves and stuff like that, but it is receivers and QBs, man. They are making moves across the NFL, and that is the league. And to combat that, you need good corners and you need good receivers of your own. And, and there were mocks where if the Jets, there were mocks where like the Jets came away with Iki Iquanu and Jermaine Johnson at 10, right? And it's like, man, if that's what they come away with, that's a that'd be a disappointment. But I love what the Jets came away with. Sauce Gardner, cornerback one for many at four, and Garrett Wilson, wide receiver one for many. Yeah. So at high value positions, the Jets killed it, and then they trade back in to get Jermaine Johnson at twenty six. Much more palatable at that point there. Three first rounders for the Jets. And I think trades were one of the stories of this first round, right? With this is something that came up before the draft that hey, half the first round is looking to move down, you know? And the question was, well, okay, that's great, but how many teams are looking to move up? All of a sudden, once you got past, it was quiet in the first 10 picks. Then all the trades started. All of a sudden, the trade partners materialized, and it was teams jumping back into the first round more than it was teams looking to jump up to those top 10 picks, which is it's kind of exactly what we said about this draft, right? It's not the strength of it isn't 1 to 10. The strength of it is 10 to 50. And maybe the strength actually is 10 to 30, right? And all of a sudden, you've got these teams that are sitting there at 40 and 50 trying to jump up into that spot and get those guys at the kind of top end of that second tier. That's where all these trades started to materialize, and guys are getting traded left, right, and center. Felt good about the Giants as well. We, we, record, we were in the back room, Sam. We were recording some. Studio B. Studio B, yeah. not the back room. Yeah. We, got, we had a background and everything. But you could see all of our videos all over the YouTube channel. They'll be, they'll be coming out. If they're not out there already. But we were talking about both New York teams, man. The Giants, if you had painted the picture that you're going to get Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal, I think you made the very keen points. There have, there were points in the process both guys were expected to go number one overall. And the Giants got them at five and seven. So Thibodeau rushing off the edge. Evan Neal to step in, likely play right tackle opposite Andrew Thomas. The Giants should be pretty excited about those two picks as well. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, for me, Neal's, I, I liked Neal the best among the tackles. Uh, those, I think they, they even admitted all the grades on the tackles were close. But I'd be excited if I was a Giants fan with those two picks. Yeah, I, look, the, there's an argument as to how much of the Kayvon Thibodeau hype to begin with. right? Remember, we're, we're not that far removed from him being the presumptive number one overall pick. Kayvon Thibodeau was the guy that was supposed to go number one overall, and then it became Aiden Hutchinson, it was Evan Neal, um, it, it became Aiden Hutchinson again, then all of a sudden the Trayvon Walker thing came kind of out of left field, and that's where the pick ended up. So there's a debate as to how much of that was just the draft community, you know, people watching tape, college football fans, whatever it is. Those are the guys that liked Kayvon Thibodeau. And the NFL was never really quite as high on him. And actually, he was more like a top five player that, that the people, public, the, you know, the, the, the lay fan, whatever, that those people thought was the number one overall candidate. And then that changed. And really what happened is that, just people started to catch up to where the NFL was and this guy all along. But it's good. It's worth making that, like, we, at least a good portion of people, even if they're not NFL front office people, 
thought that both the players that the Giants snagged with their two first two first rounders, two top ten picks, were arguable top one overall caliber players, and that has to be good for them. And there are two positions of need. Um, whether or not you agree that Thibodeau is a number one overall type of talent, the dude is obviously talented as a pass rusher. You can just see the burst off the line. You can see how twitchy he is and, and immediate. Um, and then Evan Neal is, is a freak. The dude is huge. He is. Moves well. Best combination of run blocking and pass blocking, I think, in this draft. So that's why I love what the Giants did. I like the Jets a little bit more. I think they win the New York battle, but ever so slightly. I thought uh, both New York teams came out looking good. Even at midnight, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com slash pff what do you think about the ravens in this first round i really like what the ravens did um the ravens are a team that might be as sort of shrewd and sharp and developed and progressive in terms of understanding data and the nuances of how to build rosters and where to exploit edges in every facet of the game, whether it's in-game with fourth-down decision-making, whether it's roster construction, whether it's playing the draft, whether it's the compensatory pick system, every aspect of it, Baltimore is like at the pioneering, the cutting edge. So for the Ravens to come away with two players that are generally not seen as high-value picks. They're not. I mean, they're, they're positions that would be at the low end of the scale in terms of moving the needle for wins and losses. That doesn't make sense on the face of it. But when you start factoring in, okay, what, Baltimore knows this kind of thing, right? They're not, they're not looking at this and going, oh, let's just take this guy because safeties move the needle. They know. So if they're taking them, where's the, what's the extra layer that you're not considering on its face? And I think what it is is that if you disregard positional value, you could easily make a case that Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame and Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, the center, are two of the five best players in this draft, right? If you completely ignored position value and just said, who are the best football players? Those are two of the five guys. And Benjamin Solak, I think, went on a big rant on, on radio somewhere that was posted on Twitter where he was like, you know, the nerds are ruining football and positional value. It sucks. Like, this just draft, draft good players. It's fun. I don't care. Like, forget the fact that quarterbacks are valuable, so you have to take them in the first round. Because if they suck, it doesn't do you any good, right? It, he's bad. So just draft the good players. And I, I think Baltimore have drafted two of the best players in this draft, and they haven't had to do it in the top five. They haven't had to do it in the top ten. They've been able to trade down and snag two of the best players in the draft at positions where – even if it's not the most valuable position in the league, if you're elite at it, you're going to provide more than what that position typically gives you in terms of winning. So a couple things here. And I, I'm kind of with, I'm with Ben, friend of the show, Ben Solak, on that. Because, you, know, you know, when I'm rewatching the 2001 NFL draft and it's like, oh, running back could be in play. Any position's in play at six, at eight. I get it. Uh, but, man, the, the, nerds, the nerds are, uh, are making some decisions here. Because this whole offseason, the receivers are on the move. I mean, the NFL is realizing. But here's the thing. 
half the NFL is realizing the need for these high-value receivers. The other half is trading them away or trading down and <laughs> well, not taking them or whatever. Well, the other half is just deciding they don't want to pay them. Well, but we're, but we're going to learn a lot. I am fascinated by this offseason, right? Tyreek Hill on the move. Devontae Adams on the move. We talk about the force multiplier that receiver, wide receiver one is. The biggest force multiplier besides quarterback, right? We're going to learn a lot about Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, and now A.J. Brown on the move. Allen Robinson's moving. Amari Cooper's moving. But here's the thing. Amongst all that, the Ravens traded Marquise Brown for a first-rounder. Mm-hmm. And that's where I thought they did the best business. And I tweeted this out, and I, and I think this is just... If you can maintain the um, just the, the patience to to just run the business this way, right? Just like I said with the Ravens last year, they tra- they drafted Orlando Brown in the third round. They got a few years out of him. They flipped him from the third rounder to a first rounder. Great business. Well, they did it again. They drafted Marquise Brown in the first round. You get three years out of him. He's not A.J. Brown, so you're yeah. not going to re-sign him for that crazy money. And they flipped him for a first round pick to the Cardinals. An equivalent pick. And that end up they end up trading down and eventually get Tyler Linderbaum. And yeah, they they go from receiver to center and we got to figure out what they're going to do at receiver. And Lamar's tweeting and Lamar's not happy supposedly. I think it was before the Linderbaum pick. Mm. But Lamar Lamar's wondering what's happening, right? The players are wondering what's happening. But I think overall the business of draft a player, get time out of them and recoup the same pick basically that's incredible business, and when you make those decisions over time, the roster is going to be really good. And that's why the Ravens came away with a starting center in Tyler Linderbaum, which I know you guys told me he was too undersized and he's not going to the Ravens. Well, he's now a Raven, uh-huh. and they get Kyle Hamilton, as you said. right? Two very good players at their position that are immediately add some value. There is a balancing act between you know, asset management and kind of maintaining the value of your assets and then cashing out at the right time. And before they their value diminishes, and at some point you you need the asset. Like at some point you bought this thing for a reason. You keep the thing around when it's it turned out exactly as you wanted it to. And I think for a guy like Marquise Brown, he isn't good enough that you would absolutely say we have to keep this guy whatever the cost becomes. Um, but for AJ Brown, to me, he's good enough that. Th- He's the reason you draft an A.J. Brown, right? You draft this guy because he's got incredible potential and high-end talent, and he absolutely hit. And he knocked it out of the park because you only you didn't spend a first-round pick on him. So you're getting an elite player. You didn't have to pay a ton in terms of resor- draft resources to get him in the first place. And now the time has come for his second contract. You have to pay him some money. But – He's worth it. So pay him the money and keep him around because that asset is vital to your success winning football games in the past and right now and going forward. So you, you, you sign him. You don't trade him away because now you've got to go find him again. Now you've got to go draft the Traylon Burks and hope that you hit the same guy. Whereas I think the Ravens had a player that isn't at that level. I think it's a much easier thing to say, well, we can kind of flip him for a similar amount of value and try the whole thing again. You know, I, so I, I think it's just like quarterback, though, right? I, I think at quarterback, we talk about you find your top eight guy and you lock him up and just don't let him go and build around him. The other guys, Derek Carr range and Kirk Cousins range and Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, or you got to think about it a little bit more and you got to figure out if I do pay him, you know, or do, or do I go to the next guy? Do I go to the first contract quarterback? And how much is the drop off? I think receivers becoming similar, right? 
And I'm telling you, our theories, my theory at least, is going to get tested here. My theory that you flood the field with as many difficult-to-cover playmakers as possible, and some teams who didn't have that are now going to have that, and the teams that had that won't have it anymore. And I'm going to find out how much of the difference maker is A.J. Brown because, as I mentioned in our one-off video that's on YouTube somewhere, A.J. Brown, was he the reason Ryan Tannehill became a very, very good quarterback for the last three years with the Titans? You could point to the Titans, the new system, Derrick Henry, or was it just A.J. Brown, force multiplier receiver, the same way Julio Jones was in Atlanta for years. What's that, what are the Packers going to do at receiver? Because you're replacing Devontae Adams so far with Sammy Watkins and whatever they can get later in the draft. Still time, right? Ish. It's not going to be better. <laughs> it's not going to be better than last year, right? The Chiefs receivers are not going to be better than last year with Tyreek Hill. So can't, like, you can win different ways in the NFL, but my theory is going to get tested because I'm like playing fantasy football. Give me all the receivers. I'm going to pay more for them. And a lot of the NFL is making the same move. And the other half of the NFL is, I think, starting to play left-handed. Like the Titans have Robert Woods right now. Well, the Titans... And Traylon Burks has to replace A.J. Brown, and that is very risky for that team. Yes. The Titans, though, have at least done the sort of the game plan, the standard M.O. for this move, right, which is to replicate or try and replicate what the Minnesota Vikings did a couple of years ago by trading away Stephon Diggs and immediately replacing him with Justin Jefferson. That's the dream, right, because you get effectively the same player, at least in terms of production and win, uh, wins above replacement, uh, impact on your offense, that kind of thing. And you, you do it for a fraction of the price. So you're net, uh, you're net better off. You net win, right? Because you got the same player and you got cheaper. Uh, perfect. Problem is the, the bills on the flip side of that trade essentially paid the guaranteed money or the extra money for the certainty that they'll get that player, right? Instead of gambling that the, the receiver they would take in the draft can become Stephon Diggs, you just pay the, the money for the guarantee that you're getting Stephon Diggs. The Titans are trying to do that exact same trick by trading away A.J. Brown and using the saved money to, ga- to gamble that Traylon Burks will be the same player or a comparable player or a net win given the saving you're going to have. Where it gets really weird is that Green Bay and Kansas City have traded away their elite receiver, one, because they didn't want to pay him, Kansas City, and two, Green Bay, because he just wanted out and you screwed him around enough that he wanted out before you could pay him. And they haven't yet taken like they haven't tried to replace him with the picks you got in favor of him so they're not right now those two guys are not even trying to sort of play that gamble game of well let's let's risk some money to replace him with a get with an unknown quantity they're just like no let's just save the money and invest it somewhere else so they've both voluntarily right now decided to get cheaper at wide receiver and just use the money to, to invest somewhere else which is unusual in a league that is trending ever more pass happy yeah there's a lot of stories in this draft the trades and all the the team building decisions but i I, it's it's the pass game man we haven't even talked about there's only one quarterback that got drafted there but let's discuss those receivers because the pff draft tracker pretty slick man we got a best available list available our we had two uh, top 32 players at receiver that are still available in the second round. Sky Moore, you know we love him from Western Michigan. George Pickens, another guy, especially on this podcast, you love him. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to take that chance. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in the interview process. I don't know what the off-field concerns are that have been surfaced other than right. we haven't seen him play a ton of football. You get the off-field stuff. 
but the high-end potential is absolutely there. So it's not over. You like Jalen Tolbert. He's 54 on our board. Christian Watson was rumored to go in the first round because he's 6'4 sure. and runs 4'3 something. So, I mean, Calvin Austin's your guy. I mean, there are players available, but now you're talking about if you're going to replace Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, whatever, you're doing it with a lesser player and you have to do it with, you know, surplus. You have to do it with extra players, a lot of receivers. And and I just, you know, I think for this year, it means a lot for the Packers and the Chiefs and some of these other teams to replace the guys that they lost at receiver or tight end, receiver or tight end. You just want to flood the field with playmakers and there's still teams that have to figure that out. I mean, look, Kansas City has a lot of wiggle room because they have they have Patrick Mahomes, who is still a young quarterback. They still have um, Travis Kelsey. Like, they they have a great offensive line. Like Kansas City has got they've got some room to maneuver here. Green Bay is staring down the barrel of the last couple of years of Aaron Rodgers' career, and they just traded away the only capable guy he has to throw to. So. They were a team that, like, you don't really have the luxury of screwing around with these first-round picks and hoping that the value will still be there lower in the draft and you can, you know, attack wide receiver later on where you're right. There may be value because there are still very good receivers on the board. On the other hand, Green Bay doesn't pick for a while. Like, Green Bay's next pick is at 53. you got to get another 20 picks down the road before your next pick even comes up. At which point, all the guys you just mentioned could be gone. So you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, we're going to spend a lot of time this weekend and this week talking about every single move. And the, the starting guard isn't going to – it's not going to determine the Super Bowl next year, probably. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are going to be very good next year. Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes are going to be very good next year. But you're trying to win championships and maximize those championships. And we made the point at the Tyreek Hill trade, yeah, the Chiefs might be, they'll be better long-term, right? They're going to essentially replace Tyreek Hill with five players. They probably already got rid of some of those picks to go get Trent McDuffie. That defense is going to be better in Kansas City. But man, with Rodgers, the window closing, and all that stuff, and with the, I, I think both teams, the Chiefs and the Packers, probably take a slight step back next year because you're competing at the very highest level. They're going to be very good, but a loaded AFC and then Green Bay, you just want to do everything by your quarterback to, to make him good. Green Bay goes with the two Georgia players. Quay Walker does land in the first round, the safe linebacker, because the dude just tackles. That's all he does. And then Devontae Wyatt, the interior pass rusher at Georgia. So once again, Roger's not getting his playmakers <laughs> in round one. But they were all gone by then. I mean, look, I, I love Devontae Wyatt. I think that's a really good pick. I do too. The Quay Walker one, I don't think is a good pick that's one of my least favorite picks in the first round i'm with you i i I can't get by he just he play he he is very athletic he's almost the built in a lab linebacker but he plays like a safe second or third round pick i was just talking to chris up in the um in between shows here boss Right. And, and I was like, hey, you know, I should I should have listened to you about a couple of players. Jahan Dotson, Kenyon Green, love those guys. And they go in the middle of the first round. And he was saying, well, NFL teams seem to they, they draft traits in the first round and they they draft the, the good players in the second round. Quay Walker is like the guy that has traits who plays like just a solid player that like a second, third round type of player. So you're banking on the traits, but he's he's also a safe player. Right. He doesn't make explosive plays. He doesn't make as many flash plays and you're going to try to get it out of them 
in Green Bay, but is that going to move the needle for them this year or in the future? Quay Walker at linebacker, Devontae White. Yeah, they're good players. Is that the thing that's going to, you know, get them competing with the Bucs and the Rams and everyone else in the NFC? They're already there, but is, what's going to get them over the top? No, I mean, the idea that you would pass up the chance to grab a wide receiver, any wide receiver, just for the chance that he will give you some way towards replacing what you lost in Devontae Adams for a linebacker. Not just a linebacker, but a guy who was... I mean, so he's he's the first linebacker off the board in this draft. He's not even the best linebacker in his own team. Like he's not not, not only is he not the best linebacker from that Georgia defense, but he wasn't. He didn't come even in the same ballpark as uh, looking as good as Nicobe Dean, who was by far the better player on that defense. So it's a it's a real challenge for you to make the argument that because this guy has prototypical size and traits, blah blah. blah that that makes him a better player than the guy who was so obviously a better player when you watch them play alongside each other. It's it's a weird... Even if you've decided that off-the-ball linebacker is a position worth pursuing at that point. It's a weird process, isn't it? The whole process is, is just... It's crazy. I, I mean, mean, you are projecting. I get it. So, look, yeah, but it, that projection is a lot easier of an argument to stomach when you're saying, right, I am going to explain to you why Trayvon Walker a guy who comes from this specific defense that has these uh, idiosyncratic issues that caused him to look less good than Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, right? This is why he projects to being a better player at the next level with these athletic traits. Because in a different scheme where they allow him to do these other different things, he'll look better than those guys who had those opportunities already. You can't make that argument for a guy who's playing next to him in the same defense, you can't, I mean, they still play different roles at linebacker. You can't There's take that argument, that. though, where you're like, oh, you see, the Georgia defense here was crippling the opportunity of Quay Walker to, to make these plays. And if he gets given the opportunities, he'll look way different. You're like, what, like the guy right next to him that doesn't seem to have those issues? No, that doesn't make any sense. You can't make the same projection. All I know is I'm shiny object guy. I am shiny object guy, and the Eagles got the shiniest object tonight. A.J. Brown. There's, there's, there's no uncertainty as to what he is other than the injury. Yeah, he's been a little on and off the field. Shiny object guy. Love mm-hmm. what the Eagles did because of that. Well, also- and if you didn't come away with that, like, Jahan Dotson could be a very good player. But you're the, like, the commander's at 15. They trade it down. They get Jahan Dotson. It looks like a real good, solid number two compliment to Terry McLaurin. Meanwhile, a couple picks later, the Eagles flip their pick for A.J. Brown. To pair with Devontae Smith. I mean, look, that – so that would be a, an interesting pick. You, know, you talked – should the Jacksonville Jaguars give up number one overall for A.J. Brown and his contract? Like Washington, you draft Jahan Dotson or you could have you could have had A.J. Brown and his contract. Now they have problems because they've got – I mean, the A.J. Brown contract is also about to be the Terry McLaurin contract and you can't really You have, probably can't pay both. Yes. And, and the, look, the Chargers – the Chargers might have it right. They don't have the elite receiver, but they have the only $20 million receiver. Uh, receiver. I mean, Keenan Allen's elite, but he's in that $20 million range. Mike Williams is making just 20 Well, three for 60 is a lot easier to stomach than two for 50 Oh, for sure. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so they're at the $20 million range, which you can't, you can't pay $25 million to two receivers. That's going to be really, really tricky. So, look, I, I know not everybody can, can pay for the shiny object of A.J. Brown. But I'm just I'm looking at 
there's enough teams around the NFL realizing we either need to have one of the best quarterbacks, and if we don't, we got to have one of the best receiving cores. And those are the two strategies. And I'm not saying there's not another strategy around here. And, but we're going to start to see those differences in the NFL. And can, can the Dolphins and the Raiders and now the Eagles and the teams that are just loading up on playmakers elevate their quarterbacks? Because the, Eagle, the Eagles are treating this like, hey, it's Jalen Hurts, first contract, quarterback. He's heading into year three. We're, we're treating him just like Justin Herbert. Yeah. And, I mean, and the Eagles might be different too, right? Where they might – I don't know if they're sold on Jalen Hurts. They don't have to be though. Build the roster, maximize, and get to the next quarterback if you need to. The Chargers are doing the same thing, but they, they know eventually they're going to pay Justin Herbert. By the way, the Eagles also did what I said that they should do when it comes to the type of wide receiver they should snag. You kept trying to give them Chris Olave in the draft because they need another one of those guys that are exactly the same. Whereas I was like, no, 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 no. What you need is a different skill set that can at least figure out if they can coax something different from Jalen Hurts. That's they like, bring in on, the big-bodied run after the catch, the dude of A.J. Brown yeah, to go alongside everything. to he's, go alongside the route-running specialist in... Yes, A.J. Brown's a fit for everybody. Yes, of course. He's the different You're acting like receiver. we're not debating. This wasn't Drake London versus Chris Olave. Those were the debates we're having, where you're saying, yeah. give me Drake London, big-bodied guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, give me Chris Olave, a guy who gets open. Uh-huh. And they went and got A.J. Brown, combination of both. I mean, he's closer to the the, the other style. No. Yeah, A.J. Brown is. is top five caliber, wide receiver one, good for anybody. It's not a style if thing. If you were describing you his skill set, he's way more of that physical It doesn't matter. He's he in is. Julio territory. He's in Julio game changer territory. Settle down. That's man. what A.J. Brown is. Settle down. Julio territory? Yes. Come as on. far as impact on the field, we've seen it. Ryan Tannehill went from slightly above average quarterback to one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the NFL. Julio Jones. And most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. And A.J. Brown's the reason. <laughs> Julio Jones is one of the best receivers of all time and one of the two best receivers of his generation. It's a little bit of a stretch to say A.J. Brown is in Julio territory. The coffee's hitting me good tonight. Yeah. It's not, the, um, it's not Death Wish yet. Is that what it's called? Something like that. Death Wish? Death something. That'll be on the way soon. We're all about it. But uh, It would have been good for now, yeah. Yeah. Now, how about the Lions, too? Every time I picture Jamison Williams going to a team, and I wonder if this is risky. We talked about this, too. Every time I pictured Jamison Williams, I pictured him as the cherry on top. I pictured him with the Eagles, right, where they have Devontae Smith. They have a different skill set. I pictured him with the Packers. I pictured him with the Chiefs trading up or whatever it is. And he goes to the Lions where they might want him to be the true number one. And, and that reminds me a little bit of Henry Ruggs and with the Raiders where it's like it's a cherry on top deep threat. But I know you like Jamison Williams as more of an all-around receiver. But he didn't go to the team that – he didn't go to the team that just – he was going to put over the top. He's going to the Lions where he could be the guy because they mm-hmm. have DJ Chark for a year and they have Amonra St. Brown on a rookie contract who was very good last year. But now you're talking Jamison Williams maybe as the guy instead of just the designated deep threat. And I don't know if that puts a little bit more pressure on him, but I just, I just didn't picture the Lions being the team that made that move. I like it. I like that fit. It was an aggressive move by the Lions. I just didn't picture that coming in. 
Well, we've been saying all the way through this draft process that, you know, the Lions were going to do whatever they were going to do at pick number two. Um, in, in this scenario, like, dream for them. They get Aiden Hutchinson in a, a pick they probably didn't think was going to happen for most of this process. And then it was, well, what are they going to do with their pick at the top or at the bottom of the second round? And number 32, we, we kept kind of giving them a quarterback and using the term house money, right? They've got this extra pick. Why not roll the dice on a quarterback and see if one of these guys that nobody really loves is actually better than everyone thought they were? And if they are, you hit. It's, a, it's, it's franchise changing. And it, it didn't really cost you anything because you had this sort of bonus pick from trading away Matthew Stafford. What they did instead was use that and kind of and jump up and go after somebody, right? And use the house money, if you like, to make a slightly bigger investment and go after a legit extra first-round talent. And they still have a pick in the middle of the second round, 46. So it's not like they're, they're, cost, you know, they're completely out of luck there. But I kind of like that as a strategy to, to take what we always were referring to as house money. And look, people were arguing with that. So it's not like it's a not like that's a 100 percent like cast iron fact. Sure. But if that is the attitude of how you treat that pick, I don't hate the idea of using that, packaging it with something else and going after a guy that you think is a legitimately game changing first round talent. And I think Jamison Williams absolutely is that. And in this group of receivers. So one, I think. I think the the league is changing a little bit from these old defined roles of like you need this X receiver, your number one guy that can play on a, in in isolation, defeat press coverage, win at all levels of the field, and then you have the Z who plays off the line of scrimmage, who needs to move around a bit, who goes in motion, and then you have these slot players. I think it's becoming more um, mixed than that, and you you just need multiple different weapons and guys that can win and not necessarily in all ways at all times and as long as you have a diverse group of receivers or even team right yeah or even just a group of receivers that are all of a certain level that are good enough to win doesn't necessarily matter i think if you have that x that can win all the time in all ways so if you have a jameson williams one i think he's more than just a designated deep threat um but even if he isn't, like even if that's all he brings to the table, and you have a Monrosent Brown who's your consistent uh, possession slot receiver on the inside, you have Jamison Williams who's your designated deep threat, you have DJ Chark who showed some flashes in Jacksonville, and you probably add you know one more guy, whether it's in the draft or just somebody else in the depth chart, all of a sudden that's a reasonably balanced and diverse receiving group. And even if none of those guys are a traditional number one X receiver, it might not matter. It might not. It doesn't matter now anyway, because I don't think I, I think the Lions are still looking at them a year from now. Right. It, it, as being that team. Um, it, look, there's only one QB off the board, too. Um, and the Lions can can draft one of these quarterbacks. Sure. This is when you want to just take shots on quarterbacks in round two. Absolutely. Even though you're like, hey, I didn't like you in the first round. You, you didn't. That's your your theory on it. But this is when you start taking some chances on on quarterback. But the Lions are still probably a year away. Um, so they can add more at that receiving core. But, man, this is fun. A receiver-driven league. The, the Chargers are the other team that we were saying, if Jamison Williams is there, like, don't you have to just take him and say, go ahead, stop me, NFL. Stop Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert. Stop us. And they get a starting guard. They get a guard in Zion Johnson there at 17. And I'm not hating on guards. We talk about the offensive line a ton here. you got to get to average plus and all that stuff. But, like, if you're the Chargers, that is a no-brainer, right? 
to take Jamison Williams over Zion Johnson. This is what I'm saying. Like coming out of the first round, I'm team shiny. Give me the shiny objects. I think that is what's going to win in the NFL. And if you were the Chargers, you would say, I'll take Odea Bushi. He'll be my starting guard. I'll take him off free off the free agent, you know, right now, third wave of free agency. I'll take him, but give me the game changers. And I think the teams that got potential game changers have the chance to they don't they won't all work out, but they have the chance to make the biggest moves. Sure. I mean, Jameson Williams can transform a game unlike many players or in a way that not many other players in this draft can do. If they hit on Jameson yeah. Williams, it absolutely transforms things. There are teams. Here's the other thing, too. You know how we, uh, with fourth down decisions, we say if you're, if you're the fan of an opposing team and the opposing team punts on fourth and one and you're like, oh, thank God, I thought they were going to go for it. Yeah. Don't you feel that way about Jameson Williams? Like if you're a Chiefs fan and the Chargers didn't get him or you're a Chargers sure. fan and the Chiefs didn't get him. Like there was a whole bunch of people exhaling saying, oh, good. Jameson Williams went to the Lions for Jared Goff and whatever they're doing there, like at least for now, because be, just because the potential is there through the roof to be a game changer. Let me pitch you some picks and ask you, what the hell? Okay, yeah, pitch them. Uh, pick number 15, after trading down, the Texans select Kenyon Green. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I'm just anti-guard, I guess. <laughs> anti-guard. And look, we went through the mock draft process, and we threw guards at people, but uh-huh. it was like only when they really needed it and when other stuff was off the board. And usually late in the 20s. And usually in the 20s. A lot of guards, there was, those are the need picks. And I, the Texans swung for the fences with Derek Stingley and then came back safe, and there's at least that. Was that even that safe? No. I mean, in their head, in the NFL's head, a, like, if you're drafting a lineman in the first round, you just feel safe. It just feels safe even if the player himself is risky. And a guy that doesn't grade that well in college should be seen as risky. So, yeah, I didn't love that. One pick later, pick number 16, the Washington Commanders select Jahan Dotson. Yeah, it's another one I don't think think he brings. This one is a pure evaluation thing because there are people out there that love Jahan Dotson. I'm just not one of them. I, so, again, I would say I'm more willing to go to bat using data and eye test and all. I'm, I'm more willing to trust, say, my totality of my evaluation on defensive linemen or offensive linemen or whatever. And I'm more willing to defer that, look, I'll, I'm more likely to be wrong on receivers, we'll say. To, you know, to, I'll just say that. To me, the thing about Jahan Dotson is to draft him at 16, you – it, it says something about what your evaluation of him is and what you think he can be. And, like, there was somebody in the chat earlier that was like, Jahan Dotson is OBJ. You're like, wow. I mean, okay, if he is drafting think, him at 16, I, I it's fine. I think that's a spoof because now they're telling they're, they're, They were saying Antonio Brown earlier. They Whatever. But there are people out there that think he can be, like, a legit outside perimeter high-end receiver. And you're like, well, if he can, then fine. Drafting him at 16 is cool. If he can't, though – Suddenly, that becomes a very rich pick to be spending on a guy that is in some way limited as a receiver. Here's what I think realistically could have happened, though. The commanders are sitting there at 11. They get the trade offer. Who came up to 11? The Saints made the trade offer to come up to 11. You don't know who it's for. It's Chris Olave, who's the next receiver off the board. Um, any receivers go after that? I just clicked off for a second. Uh, no. No. So oh, the Jameson. Commander- uh, and Jameson Williams comes at 12, right? So there's a run on receivers. Then the other receivers that went after Jahan Dotson was Traylon Burks, right? And that was pretty much it? Yeah. That receiver? So Washington, so was it 
their evaluation is high on Jahan Dotson or a combination of that. Of the top tier receivers, they had Drake London, the two Ohio State guys, Jameson Williams, and then Jahan Dotson's five. Mm-hmm. There's a drop off because a lot of the boards you, you tier it, and, and the drop off is Traylon Burks and Sky Moore and George Pickens. So he's pro- my guess is the commanders had Dotson at the bottom end of their top tier of receivers, which is five, right? Which isn't crazy to put Dotson at five, in the, even though you disagree with that. But we've seen Dotson anywhere between five and ten on rankings. To me, what's crazy, though, is not – so I even the most optimistic evaluations of Jahan Dotson I have seen, I don't understand why you would be separating him in any significant and meaningful way from Sky Moore. So even if you love that guy and somebody – like if you're one of those teams, you love the guy, you've locked in him, you're like, oh, if he's sitting there and we're picking, we are running into the podium, we're grabbing him. Somebody jumps in front of you, they grab him, you're like, oh, damn, we missed that. Like, okay, but Sky Moore's sitting there and he does all of the things that Dotson does the same. And he might have other things to his, to his skill set as well. I, I just don't get – I don't get why you would be like – I get why you would say, yeah, we think that Jahan Dotson is the number five receiver in this draft. I don't get why you would say, well, he's five and the gap between him and six is huge. We, got, we have to make that deal. No, I understand. I, I get it. So, so my point is, all right, you ranked him at five. Or, or maybe you didn't even say there was a big drop-off. You just didn't have another trade partner, and it became a need pick. In, in Washington and, – and here's – I agree with the mentality. I've said that a million times you gotta, you got to build around Carson Wentz, right? you got to give him the playmakers to throw to. You can't have him try to manufacture offense with, an av- with, with a great Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel's a complimentary piece. You, when you throw Dotson into that mix, like, it's not bad, but like, he looks like an okay number two, right? Like a pretty good number two. So I, the position was right. I'm fine with that. But that felt like a need pick after the trade down. Now, if you look at it as they had 11 and they picked up two extra picks plus Jahan Dotson, I mean, there's something to it. But it, it must feel a couple picks later, the Eagles in your division use their pick to trade for A.J. Brown, essentially, straight up. Yeah. Right? Or if you're the Cardinals, man. If you're the Cardinals, I know cap situations and all that stuff are different. they got to pay Kyler. That's happening this offseason. And the Cardinals have all that money in De- DeAndre Hopkins. But you still gave up a first round for Marquise Brown. He needs a contract soon. Maybe not $20 million, but he still needs a contract soon. Meanwhile, A.J. Brown went for a, a first round pick. A few picks later. I'm just saying, like, did you get, this, did you get equivalent value if you're the Cardinals in the mar- for Marquise Brown when A.J. Brown went f- for also a first round pick? It's a little different. Marquise Brown's got a couple years on his contract, all that stuff. It's not all apples to apples, but... Shiny object. Just name the pod Shiny Objects, and Steve wants all of those. Mm. What other picks do you want to question here? Uh, Some strange we'll, picks. We'll Any come strange back to picks? that one. We've already covered the Quay Walker pick. Um, Cole Strange? Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I love— I, I, Number what, 29 to New England from Chattanooga. So because we're not uh, local media— beat writers and all that stuff we don't get to go to the press conferences the, the the head coaches are having and the gms are having press conferences right now as we speak talking about their first round picks um, i like to catch up on those later but every now and again we get to catch some nuggets bill belichick assured the media already that had they picked at 21 cole strange would have been the pick they traded down from 21 to 29 with the chiefs and picked cole strange 
who's a player that was mostly in the 70s, 80s on draft boards for the most part. And look, I mean, how do you balance this one, Sam? People laughed at the Logan Mankins trade years ago. We didn't have PFF back at the time, so we didn't have an opinion on that. 76 on the uh, consensus. 76 board. on the consensus board. Belichick also said he had a feeling they, they felt like he was going to be off the board soon. Okay. So, look, the Patriots definitely make a lot of picks of players that don't feel like they're going to be off the board soon, right? That has always been the Patriots' MO. And I will say some of them work, some of them don't. Yeah. And so I will reserve judgment on that because there's a track record of, especially offensive linemen, they've done a really good job with offensive linemen in New England historically. Have they not? Yeah. Receivers, no. Like, if he drafted insert any receiver there Harry even our favorite receiver I'd be like uh oh New England picked a receiver I don't know they don't the track record's not there the track record's there for offensive linemen yeah it is also not a need center guard he's gonna start probably at at, they traded Shaq Mason yeah he's gonna start at one of the guard positions probably David Andrews at center they have Michael Uwenu who couldn't get on the field last year who we think is awesome. I mean, they, they hit on that pick, and then didn't, they didn't put him on. I, I mean, look, maybe their evaluation's different than ours, too, but he looked like a really good player over the last couple of years. Yeah, to the Where's point. Where's my depth chart? Who else do they have? Who, who they have feels slotted like in? you should kind of be playing him, you know? Who do they have slated in at guard here, slotted in? What am I missing? I don't have my depth chart pulled up at the moment. Um, I thought you were looking at it. But they just traded Shaq Mason. Yeah. but the- You have James Ferentz. So you could start at right guard. You could, and Wenu could play either guard position or eventually right tackle. Trent Brown's only on a one-year contract. So it's one of those guard spots. Yeah. It's like, and, you know, he's got the same, again, New England media's pulling out. He's got the same measurables as Joe Tooney, as Logan Mankins, and that's how they do their valuation. And he's... So essentially this is a colossal reach that we're going to give the benefit of the doubt to because it's the Patriots. Oh, I don't like it at all. All I'm saying is they have a history of kind of making these things work, right? They have a history of making sometimes um, Ted Karras work, you know, even though he wasn't a first-round pick. But that's what it is. I mean, you're going to, I don't know, you're hoping it becomes like a Ted Karras, which okay. isn't a great first-round pick, by the way. All right. Um, I don't like the pick, if, if you want me on the record here. Good. I, I do. don't like Cole yes. Strange as no, the pick I here. I don't like Cole Strange. <laughs> I dislike Cole Strange. What other what being. other picks do you want to? Uh, that's kind of it for the. Wait, I know what. I would never question Manscaped. That's right. I mean, it's an extra show. We're giving you an extra read here. The only true gu- guaranteed quality pickup this season. It is Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340. Shiny thing, Sam. You want the shiny thing? Sub 4340. Mm. Support us and head to manscaped.com. Use the exclusive code PFF. Use that at checkout. 20% off plus free shipping because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology. That's first-round technology. Your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think the long nose hair is a major turnoff. The weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job? April's draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off plus free shipping. It's the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's 20% off free shipping 
Manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. The So I asked on Twitter, had anybody like done the math of what the Saints ended up giving up, factoring in all the trades for Chris Olave? Uh, Eagles beat guy Jimmy Kemsky has written it out and said the Saints basically traded a 2023 first-rounder, a 2024 second-rounder, uh, a couple of 2022 third-rounders this year, and a 2022 fourth in totality for Chris Olave. That's quite a lot to be giving up. A first? 2023 first next year. So a one, a two. A one next year, a two in 2024. So two a one, years out. two twos. No, no, no. A, a one, a one, two. and a two, but two years out. Sure. A couple of thirds this year. A one, a two, and two threes. And, and a fourth. fourth this year. For Chris Olave. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That was the, that was the thing, right? We were like, either the Saints love a quarterback, or they're going to fill those two needs. We at least got that one. Well, what they ended right. up doing the was almost splitting the difference. They did fill their two needs. They went. They got a tackle and a wide receiver. That's what we thought they needed if they were going to stay with their picks. They didn't quite stay with their picks. They still traded up again, but ended up going for two players. They traded up without having to give up both firsts, so still got the tackle and the wide receiver. They're aggressive, man. I mean, for whatever it's worth, we sit here and we talk about best strategies and best ideas. I mean, we all have theories. We all have our, our thoughts. The Saints have their own strategies and thoughts. They're aggressive with the cap. They're aggressive with trading up. So let me ask you a question, right? Atlanta are the only team we can say for sure got the number one wide receiver on their board, right? Because they picked the first wide receiver. Yeah. How many teams do you think that took a wide receiver in the first round got the number one wide receiver on their board? So the Falcons, yes. I yes. think the Jets probably did with Garrett Wilson uh-huh. because they're debating between Drake London and Garrett Wilson. I think the Saints might have honestly just loved Chris Olave. I honestly think that four out of the five teams that drafted a wide receiver might have taken the number one wide receiver on their board. The Lions. The Lions, Jameson, Jameson Williams. Williams, the Saints with Olave, the Jets with Garrett Wilson, and the Falcons with Drake London. I mean, and then the Commanders with Dotson. I just refuse to believe there's any possible No, I don't way. think they did. I mean, he was the fifth receiver off the board, and I don't – I mean, it's a common press conference. We talk about press conferences. Oh, and you always ask, was yeah. he your top receiver? So five, four out of the six, right? Is that how many went? Yeah, six. Burks went to the Titans. Was there anybody else after him? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. So four out of the – I think the top four genuinely got the first wide receiver on their board. Do you see how – I forget the, the year that Metcalf – DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown – were the top two receivers on our board. That was Debo's year two, yep. right? All three of those guys went in the second round. Yep. In just a matter of three years, this is how the NFL has changed. Because I think you can make a strong argument that those three guys, even as – like DK and A.J. Brown as prospects, we had them as first-round players. I mean, they were better than this year's class across the board, right, as prospects. Uh, I, think. I don't know if they were better, but they were very different. I mean, okay, the whole thing was different. All I'm saying is those guys went in the second round. Yeah. And just three years ago in the NFL, there were more teams willing to take their tackles and their guards and their defensive linemen and all that stuff. Whereas now, I think all of these receivers certainly ranked in different places. I think you might be right. Four teams may have gotten their wide receiver one, but six receivers went in the first round. I think you're starting to see teams 
maybe it was the depth of the receiving class in the first round, whatever. But teams are being more aggressive when it comes to the perimeter playmakers. It also, I think, speaks to just how weird and diverse this receiving class is. So it's not, when we talked about the Lions earlier and the pursuit of that true number one X receiver, A, there aren't many of those in this draft at all, guys that even have that skill set, like half a dozen maybe that even you think can become that player down the line. Uh, but B, like every one of these guys is a vastly different style of player. You've got right. the big-bodied guy who might run a 4-7 and could even be limited as a, a slot Michael Thomas type of player in Drake London. You've got pure speedster in Jamison Williams who can do more. You've got the gliding, smooth route running of Chris Olave, And then you've got Garrett Wilson, who's the sort of Stephon Diggs composite of maybe nothing is spectacular, but everything is good. I, these are four completely different types of receivers. See, let me word it differently because I don't think it's the X receiver thing. For me, it's the high-volume target guy, right? 31 receivers last year had at least 100 targets in the NFL. So when I'm talking about a first-round pick, I'm not talking about is he an X, a Z, a slot. Like That's how we describe the players. But I'm talking about a guy that's going to get 100 targets, 120 targets. The top target guy was Cooper Cup with 189 that was uh, 23 more than anyone else. That was just the regular season. Then he went off, of course, in the postseason, too. I'm talking 100 target guys. So with Jamison Williams, like with Chris Olave, the reason why I compared him to Keenan Allen, not necessarily stylistically, it was that Keenan Allen had 150 targets. Like, could you see Chris Olave having 150 targets in a season, being a high-volume receiver? I think I can. Garrett Wilson, I can. Drake London, probably. I don't see it as much with Jamison Williams, and I don't want to force that on him because if you're doing that, he's got to run a few more slants and he's got to run some drags and some underneath stuff when I just want him being my take-the-top-off-the-defense guy. That's all I'm saying. It's not, is he an X? It's because you picked him at 12. That not that where Ruggs went to? Yeah. Because you no, picked him at 12. Did he go 11 or 12? Something like that. I think it was in that range. Because you picked him there, and Ruggs went over C.D. Lamb. Yes. And C.D. Lamb, I'm giving him 150 targets, and I'm feeling good about it. Ruggs, I, I know the story, you know, but just using it as an example. I never liked Ruggs as a 100 target, 120, 150 target guy. Is Jameson Williams that guy? And, and so I just don't want the Lions to force 100, 120, 150 targets on him to justify number 12. I want them to use him to his skill set, and that's all I'm saying. With, and not so much X receiver. It's it's usage pattern and volume and all that stuff. Yeah, I just, I just think it's – I don't know if this is a weirdly um, unique year, but it seems to me that the top of this group from wide receivers are unusually uh, disparate in terms of their skill sets. And that, I think, is potentially leading to the situation where you're getting teams going aggressively after wide receiver because they actually have that guy ranked – you know, the top of their board because that's the type of receiver they're looking for. And maybe it isn't the type of receiver that the next team is looking for. Um, but the fact that receivers are going off the board leads to a team like Detroit going, well, we can't hang around because this guy isn't going to go at some point and he's the number one guy we have. Yeah, I wonder if it was a run or if it was number one, guys. Like, did the Saints just think, oh, is our number one, let's go get him? Or there was just two receivers off the board, uh-oh, go get him. Maybe. But look... Here's what we've learned this offseason. Yeah, you trade up for various positions, but the NFL has made massive trades for receivers, thrown a ton of money at them, and then traded up to get them. 
and I think they're realizing this is it's it's an arms race for offense, and that's what they're doing. And I think if you're if you're not playing that game, I think you're falling behind. It's not that you can't you, you need defense, you need defensive players, but if you are not actively making your pass game better or your pass defense better, you're falling behind. And I think that's the bottom line in this whole thing. And offensive linemen help that, but they they help it in a smaller clip than the shiny object. All right, let's talk quarterbacks. Just how bad is this class? Oh, we finally got the quarterbacks here. I love how you're directing traffic. Yeah. I'm just out of my mind. I, so look, we said all along. After hours, Steve's yeah, out of his mind here. This, is, this isn't news, right? We said all along this is not a good quarterback class. We also said, though, it isn't as bad as 20, what was it, 2013? The E.J. Manuel class, right? Where the first quarterback went, where E.J. Manuel went, it was, was pick 15, pick E.J. 16? Manuel of 15. Geno Smith went in the second round. Yeah. And then Mike Glennon went in the third round. Right. So we're like, it's not as bad as that. And yet, the first and only quarterback taken so far is Kenny Pickett at 20. Seven, or, you know, a few spots below uh, where E.J. Manuel went. Uh Yes. And this has been an entire offseason of teams desperately maneuvering for veterans rather than risk this, this rookie quarterback class. Yeah, I think this entire time we were balancing the concept of you got to take shots at quarterback with the NFL's making moves for, for high-end starters. And are they doing that because they don't love the draft class or, again, because – it's an arms race to make your pass game better. And you only do that with making moves for Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and, uh, you know, just, just getting at the high-end guys. I think, if, I think we would all look at these quarterbacks and say, like Malik Willis was the guy that we were most comfortable taking in the first round. Um, I only would have taken other guys late first round. And I think the NFL ultimately agreed other than it was Pickett instead of Willis for the for the Steelers the um so Bruce Feldman had an interesting article on the athletic where he was he surveys just an absolute ton of people all anonymously which therefore prompts some interesting quotes right whether it's quarterback coaches head coaches scouts all this kind of stuff and one of the questions he asked was look there's been a lot of talk about how bad this is for quarterback prospects you know how do you see it how many of these guys are legit first round talents etc etc um and one quarterback coach said the highest-graded quarterback this year. Now, he said it's Sam Howell, but whatever. But he then said you have a second-round grade on him. They have a third-round grade on Kenny Pickett. And if you looked at his 2020 film, it would be a sixth- or seventh-round grade. Like Legit, yeah. These are actual NFL quarterback coaches who are saying this is awful as a draft class of quarterbacks. That's, that's in a vacuum, too, Sam, right? Yeah. That's in a vacuum. Those are their draft grades. And then in reality... And the first quarterback coach here was saying all the top ones this year, second-round guys. Yes. So that's, that's in a vacuum, second-round grade. Then you have the reality of what's happening in the actual NFL, where if you don't have one of those top eight or ten guys, or if you, if you have... I'm praising the Eagles left and right, but if you have Jalen Hurts, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, I'm in the NFC East, Mac Jones, you know, like if you have a middle-of-the-road quarterback, you feel like you're behind. You feel like you've been left behind. And that's with current NFL quarterbacks, right? Don't you feel like you're just working from a deficit and, and, and everything else has to be built up so much better around them? Jimmy Garoppolo, right? We're one year removed from the Niners and Rams 
trying to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff, two two quarterbacks that took them to the Super Bowl. So that's in the current NFL. And then this quarterback class comes in, and you have a whole bunch of second-round grades and some some fringe first-round grades or whatever, and they just don't want to do it. Like, why do you – so they just said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to take just a starter. We're not going to do it. We could find starters. I also think there was just – demand was lower, wasn't it? Like, who are the desperate teams for quarterbacks? Carolina. Carolina's one. Seattle. Seattle's another. And Atlanta's debatable. Yeah. And, the, and the Steelers are pro- we're, we're probably in that mix because they have a bridge quarterback in Trubisky. Sure. And then that's pretty much it. So demand was definitely lower than it usually is. The Saints could have been in that bucket. They have, you know, they have Jameis. But, like, the demand is definitely lower, I think, overall than it's been. But yeah, that actually that bore out. Like teams didn't overdraft quarterbacks this year; they stuck with what their evaluation was. Yeah, and it, it does seem like we've been saying it. This class might be seen as as bad as the EJ Manuel class. Now it seems like there's more depth because we've been talking about a top five or a top six of these quarterbacks, whereas the EJ Manuel class, it's like, all right, EJ might be the only one we're even vaguely interested in. Then it gets to the second round with Geno and the third round with Mike Lennon. Like, that was not only bad in terms of the top, but there was almost no depth to it either. So maybe this class wins just in terms of depth. But nobody wants any part of these quarterbacks. So in, in round two here, where are these QBs going to go? The Bucks are on the clock first. The Vikings are on the clock second. Do they start thinking to the future at quarterback? I, I yeah. doubt it. The Texans are up at 37. Do they want... Somebody to come in to compete with Davis Mills. Nope. I think the next quarterback is Seahawks. going, yeah, one, right. of the, one of those Seattle picks. 40, 40 and 41, 41 to the Seahawks. Atlanta 40. at 43. Yep. Um, the Lions at 46. Maybe. I I'm just saying maybe. They could think about it. Yeah, right? I wouldn't be shocked if the Lions punted on quarterback entirely this year. Now, 47 um, is the place where <laughs> the report was the commanders are doing a lot of work on Matt Corral. Yeah. I mean, any, basically any team that's picking it around the 40s makes some sense. The Saints at 49 could still be in the market. Um, that's, the, that's the area where, in a vacuum, people have been talking about these quarterbacks going. The problem is usually those guys get pushed into the first round because you need a quarterback, you need a quarterback. Now, listen, once you get past Washington at 47, though, you get the Saints at 49. I don't know if they're going to go that route. You have a whole bunch of teams that don't need a quarterback mm-hmm. for a while. Falcons come back up at 58. So the Falcons have two second rounders. You've got to think one of them's probably on a QB, I would imagine. Some of those guys, that top five that we thought were any of them could end up in the first round, depending on the evaluations. Yeah, they're going to be third rounders. They could be third rounders, legitimately. Like the Texans at the top of the third could get one of those guys. The Seahawks will probably get one in the 40s. I, I agree, but they could get one at 72. The Colts, if they want to look to the future, can get one at 73 if they want to think beyond Matt Ryan. So... The Sam Howells and Desmond Ritters and Malik Willis's of the world, we could be talking about second or third round prospects now yeah. with those players. And because they're quarterbacks, we had all the first round discussions. And I don't think it's crazy. Which makes sense. Like when, you're, when you evaluate these guys and you rank them on a big board, the 40s is where, like when you look to PFF's big board, I think Kenny Pickett was ranked in the 40s. Like that's where these guys belong even with our value bump that we like to right add to the to the mix there that is where this group deserved to be in terms of playing ability right now but we expected that just the nature of the game and the way how important quarterback is that they they would 
they would get boosted. I mean, we had the highest quarterback on PFS big board was Malik Willis, and that was 30. So bottom of the first round. Um, the only guy with the first round grade, Sam Howell, 34, Ritter, 41, Pickett, 42, Matt Corral, 53, Carson Strong, 68. And that actually is starting to look like where these guys are going to be going. And Carson Strong. Is that what you said? 68. Yeah, 68. And, Bailey's, and then a big drop off to Bailey Zappi. Right. Thick Case Keenum. Thick Case Keenum. Was your, was your comp there for Bailey Zappi. Man, how long have we been going? I can go all night. No, we can't. We got more videos to record. Who yeah. else is staying up with us? But the, the, the chat's cooking. People are staying up all night listening and watching us. Let's wait till my battery runs out. What do we have for left for battery on my computer? 45 minutes. Uh, we have 45 minutes left. So what's the Panthers' plan at quarterback now? They didn't take one at six. They didn't go with the Kenny Pickett at six thing. They drafted a tackle. They went nice, safe, simple. They trade a three for Jimmy Garoppolo. For Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. A three. They don't have a three, do they? Next year. Next I mean, year. not this year. Next, Next year's three, three Next for year's Jimmy three. Garoppolo or, um, I mean, I, if Baker Mayfield gets released, uh, yes. I pounce. Sure. If I'm any team. I refuse to believe they're trading for Baker Mayfield, though. I cannot believe they No, no, no. I don't think they're actively going for the guy that was picked two slots ahead of Sam Darnold. In essentially also a came out of a, right of the experiment. It's, it's more palatable for the Panthers. I'm overusing the word palatable. It's easier for the Panthers to talk themselves into Jimmy Garoppolo. He's got a winning record. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's had all this success. He's done all these things. And saying, we're going to bring him in as our veteran quarterback. It's so much easier for them to say that than to go get Baker Mayfield, even though I think they're comparable quarterbacks. Do you think it's plausible that they still believe in their heart of hearts that Sam Darnold can be good? I think they can go into the season with him because they lost. (laughs) I mean, look, if if the option is... Sunk cost Sam Darnold. I mean, you talked you talk about David Tepper, right? I mean, he doesn't want to... Because, look, if David Tepper doesn't want to mortgage his entire future for the Panthers... If you're a truther, you know? If you're one of those hardcore, like, conspiracy theory lunatics that really believe something, no matter how crazy it is, right? Hey, some of them are true. I, I, was, a, I was a Darnold guy. I was a Darnold truther. Yeah. You've seen his redshirt freshman Rose Bowl? Uh-huh. But, you know, there, there's people out there that vehemently believe something quite crazy and no amount of evidence will ever dissuade them away from that and in fact no matter what the evidence is they'll find like a small tiny nugget in there you know that will somehow reinforce what they think so if you're the panthers and last year you convinced yourself that you know what this guy's legit i mean i saw his college tape right i saw that that rose bowl game it was was amazing and really what's happened is that the jets have just ruined him Look at this deadbeat franchise in New York, New Jersey, not even New York, right? They've just ruined them. They had this terrible supporting cast, terrible coaching, terrible offensive line, terrible receiving weapons. The dude had no shot. So we're going to rescue him. We're going to bring him to Carolina. He's going to have the best receiving group he's ever had. He's going to have Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. He's got Joe Brady as his offensive coordinator. We are going to rescue this guy, and we'll look like geniuses. And all it's going to do is cost us, you know, some mid-round picks and pick up his fifth-year option. This is how we get back on track. Then they trade for him. Then they snap the ball. No, no, no. Then they win three games. They go 3-0, and and they're on the way to the Super Bowl. Suddenly we're trading for, you know, Stephon Gilmore, and we're going – 
It, we're back, baby. Dan O was ha- Dan O is a big Darnold guy. He's like, Dan I o. told you, it was Gase. Victory laps around the studio. I told you, Dan O's loving life, right? And then the wheels fell off, and everything imploded, and were disastrous. But that coincided with Christian McCaffrey getting hurt, and you know the offensive line being a steaming pile of hot garbage. Eventually, came back to, to haunt them. They fixed that now. Because they went and drafted a tackle, and they've made some moves in free agency, and Christian McCaffrey's coming back. So all the problems that caused Sam Darnold to look like the Jets, they're gone. So Darnold, he's still there. Because they drafted Evan Neal. Did they draft Evan Neal? No. No, quite um, Icky. Icky, sorry. Listen. Uh-oh. Somebody fill me up. Brain's losing it. Uh-huh. Get the wrong player. Yeah. Get the wrong play. They drafted Icky. They drafted Icky. They, they added Austin Corbett. They've, yes. added, they've added to the offensive line. Uh-huh. In multiple ways. And they're getting Christian McCaffrey back. And McCaffrey's. And they fired Joe Brady, who was obviously the problem. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you were that inclined in the first place, if you were conspiracy-minded and thinking, you know, the Jets were the problem, you could convince yourself. And he's working with Jordan Palmer. Hmm. I'm just saying. Hasn't he we, always been working with Jordan Palmer, though? Yeah, Jordan's doing some different stuff now, though. Oh, okay. It's more into movement skills and everything. I like Jordan. He Jordan. I've talked to Jordan a little bit about yeah? this stuff. Yeah. Did you ask him why he couldn't fix Sam, Sam Darnold? Uh, they're doing different stuff now, so we'll see this offseason. Oh, okay. We'll see if, if he gets fixed. You should do the things that, that, that uh, Josh Allen did. Do, do what Josh Allen did. I would say, I mean, look, if the option is, if you're thinking long-term, if you're the Panthers— I mean, would you really want to give up future draft capital for Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, not Is much. Garoppolo going to get released? I don't think he gets released. The, the, the Niners have no cap space. Yeah. They do need to sign their draft picks. I get that. They don't need a ton of cap space. It's not like, like free agency is over, right? So you don't need incredible cap space. So you probably, but I do think the Panthers could consider rolling out there with Darnold just so they're not mortgaging any more of their future. They're still a rebuilding team that we're, we're, we don't see them till Saturday. They made their tackle pick, and we don't see them till Saturday. That is unideal for a team that's trying to get the roster back on track. I yeah, I, look, I think there's a real case that the ownership, the, the direction ownership wants to take, and the direction that people like making picks for their jobs would take are not the same. They're not aligned here. So, yeah, David, nor should ownership let that happen. No, of course. So David Tepper's looking at this and being like, the best thing we can do right now, okay, we're not in a good situation. We don't have a quarterback, and we don't have, like, we have one pick in the first hundred. So this isn't great, right? And if we had an offer to trade down, we'd absolutely take it. But if we don't, the best thing we can do is continue to rebuild the offensive line and grab this guy, Iki Ikuanu, who was being talked about as a potential number one overall pick. And if that screws you guys, unlucky, because, you know, you might have, done better with getting a quarterback earlier in the in in the last couple of years but you didn't that's not my problem that's your problem um the head coach and gm would be like well what can we do here well we're going to get fired next year if we stink so let's find the quarterback and it doesn't even matter if he's amazing let's just roll the dice here because if we don't hit on one we're boned none of these qbs are falling to the fourth right the fourth i mean carson strong could be a fourth round pick now yeah Bring in Carson Strong to compete with Sam Darnold. That's not enough. Is there anything else outside the box like Jordan Love from Green Bay? 
But either way, like any of those moves, you got to give up some sort of draft capital. Yeah. And I just don't want to do that year. on the Panthers. It's got to be next year. Next year's picks. I don't want to give up next year's picks right. for Particularly because if anything. you're going to stink this year, you need next year's picks. So I, I think they might end up rolling into the season with the crap that they're spouting, which is, oh, Sam Darnold's going to yeah. be the quarterback. Not that they believe he'll be good, but that they don't have another option and the ownership doesn't care because he's in this for the long haul. Uh, you want to wrap this up with our best available? Yeah, what, what's sure. going to happen in, in, on day two here? Day two is, I mean, this is where championships are won. On day two. Day one's awesome, but day two is when you, this is where, this is where you find, find your players, man. Bernard Raymond. No, I didn't do it right that time. No. Bring the pronunciation up again. He was 18th on our board. He's the top player available per PFF, the Central Michigan tackle. Where's Malik Willis? Malik Willis is up there. George Pickens. Nicobe Dean yes. is up there. So Dean and Raymond, oh, man, the two top, uh, the two <laughs> top 20 players by our listing. Sky Moore, Andrew Booth, I know you love him. Clemson Corner, Travis Jones from UConn, the interior defensive lineman. George Pickens, still there, number 28. On our draft board, I think when you talk Boomer Boston, what the payout could be with George Pickens. Malik Willis. Here's what you're going to hear over the next few hours. The Bucks, The Bucks hold all the cards. They get the first pick of round two. Everybody's calling the Bucks. Always. Every year you hear this, and then that team just picks them. They never trade out. They just pick. So <laughs> the Bucks are picking at the top of the second round. Um, Malik Willis, we have him as our top quarterback available. My guy, Arnold Ebicady, edge defender out of Penn State. Big fan of him. Jalen Petre, the uh, corner slash safety out of Baylor. Sam Howell's still there. Louis Chanel. Leo Chanel, sorry, Wisconsin linebacker. So these are all top, some of the top players here in the second round. Uh, one last team to cover before we bounce out of this. What do you make of what the Vikings are doing? Kwesi comes in, the, the analytics GM, even though he's a finance GM, really, originally. Kevin O'Connell, new regime. Doing nothing new. This is like a Rick Spielman playbook, right? We trade down, we grab an unexciting position, we just we carry on carrying on. Not everything Rick Spielman did was wrong. I never said it was. I'm just yeah. saying that, again, like, it, what's the point in firing Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer only I to think, repeat what uh, they did? I'm trying, I'm trying to get Rick on the podcast, by the way. Oh, yeah? In, uh, in a few weeks. Big when you're TikTok guy, I believe. He is, yes. I talked to Rick the other day about his TikTok. Yeah? Yeah. He's trying to grow it. Follow Rick on TikTok. I don't know where, but just search Rick Spielman. He's, he's well, you'll find he's it. trying yeah. to push his TikTok. My point is simply like I, I simply from day one of this change, I haven't understood it. I don't get why you fire. You liked this trade at the time. You're like, hey, this is a good trade, right? Well, that was before I saw there was a second round pick involved in it as well. They um, flipped second round picks and they picked up an extra. Trading down is fine. Like they, it, when they were picking at number twelve, they the board hadn't fallen in such a way that I think they had a great number of options at twelve for what they would have gone. Like you know, in drafts, mock drafts, you'd seen them taking Derek Stingley or whatever at twelve. It didn't fall that way at all. They didn't have a great selection at twelve, so they trade down. Fine, not a problem. They trade all the way to thirty-two. That's quite a way, and you end up drafting Lewisine from Georgia, who I love, by the way. I think he's a really good player. And one of the underrated players in that Georgia defense. Um, on the other hand, again, it's it's a safety. You know, that's like is this tra- is this the re- is this the real terms of the trade? What? So the ones we have in the chat here, I just want to confirm here. The Lions got twelve and forty. They got they got twelve 
in the first round, the Lions get 12. Yeah. The Vikings moved from 12 to 32. That's a 20-spot drop in the first round. Yes. In the second round, it's saying the Vikings got 34. Yeah. <clears throat> in exchange for 46. No, 32 and 34. So, yeah, they get the first round and the third uh, but, the but I'm round. just doing one for one. The two first round picks, 12 and, to 32. And 66. But listen to me. Yeah, fine. But the, the it's 12 to 32. That's a 20-spot drop in the first round. Yeah. In the second round, the Vikings move up uh-huh. 12 spots from 46 to 34. Yeah. So they move down 20 in the first. Yeah. Up 12 uh-huh. in the second. And get another second. And then they got pick 66, another second-round pick. Yes. Is that enough for the 20-spot no, drop in that's, the first round? That's why I'm saying I liked it until I saw the, the number 46. Yeah, I misread it. it at first. I thought they just picked up an extra two, uh, two extra twos. Yes. And that 66 isn't a two. It's a three. Isn't it the bottom right? of the two, the second? There's 64 picks in the first two rounds. It's, Even it's, with – don't isn't there don't isn't there any extra one for uh, – There's no comp picks in the first two rounds. No, you're right. It's the top of the set, the top of the third. So it's a, it's a it's a high three. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look that great no. on the surface. And then you spend that pick on a safety, which is fine. He's a nice player, good player, but a safety. I'm fine with Lewis. I'm fine with Lewisine at the at 32. I'm fine with all of that. I don't know if the Vikings got enough there though. If that's true, I, I don't. Nobody's corrected the the trade terms there. I haven't checked the charts. Can we get some Spielberger Fitzgerald chart over here? Well, probably not right now, but we don't have them live. Tune again, in next week. We'll I, have more analysis. My now. question is simply again: like, what are they? What are they doing other than treading water? And if all what they're do doing, want, I don't know what you want for them. I I want change. I want change. Is that too much to ask? What do you want different? You want like trade for AJ Brown type stuff? Because that's me. The Vikings. Yeah, if franchise, you had hired me, Vikings for three million dollars a year, I would have traded for AJ Brown. The Vikings franchise right now is a is a rowboat with only one functioning oar that is just spinning in a circle slowly in the water. Right? It takes time, man. So it what they've time. done is, in order to fix that, they've hauled in the oars. Right? This yeah. is not working. We're just spinning in a circle here. We've hauled in the oars, and they've fired the guy that was rowing. Right? You, you're the problem. Get the hell out of that chair. Somebody else is going to row this boat now. And then they've just put the oars back out and continued to spin in a circle. You didn't fix the problem. So I know the trade charts take care of all this stuff and everything, right? But you're – so there's a big difference between pick 12 and pick 32 in the first round, right? As you get further in the draft, there's not a big difference in the picks because the 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 board's – diverge quite a bit so moving up 12 spots in the second there's a really good chance you're getting the same guy that you would take at 34 the same guy that you would take at 46 it's probably close right you're at least in the same bucket and then you add a pick 66 a third rounder so from this perspective the vikings like what if they took kyle hamilton instead of lewis scene maybe in the second round you still get the same guy and then you just don't get that extra third round. Like, so they may have only gotten, say, let's say they stay in the same position. Lewis seen in exchange for Kyle Hamilton. Maybe you get your pick of the guy in the second round, but it's the same range. And then you get an extra third. And is that enough? Uh, look, I'm team more picks. I just, this one on the surface doesn't look right. It, no, I don't think they, I think they lost this trade, period. 
And even if they hadn't lost this trade, my question is simply, what is this team trying to achieve with a new regime that isn't doing exactly the same thing as the old regime would have done? And if it's not doing anything different, then what was the point in dumping the old regime? All, all I'm saying is, I, what, what specifically do you want? Better players, different style, like all I want corners. Like what are the things that you're looking for that says, here's what we're doing Any different. indication whatsoever that there will be something different this year. I mean, just give it some, the like, last few you years. You take time. It's a process. It is a process to – It just you, you have to make a whole bunch of good moves over and over again. That's what it is. And if you're telling me there's not a pattern to the moves or none of the moves are good or whatever, I mean, that, fine. If, if you don't think the moves are good, that's one thing. If you're looking for like a pattern, I don't know what pattern you're looking for. Keep trading down and getting more players and, and you know, hope that they're better. I mean, if, I, if you summed up on a spreadsheet everything that the Vikings have done this offseason and handed it to somebody and asked them, did Rick Spielman do this? They would say yes. Correct? Like they've literally done nothing different. This is exactly the game plan that Rick Spielman would have done if he was still in the job, right? You're saying Quasi's a puppet GM. <laughs> I'm simply asking if, if that is true, then why was he fired? Oh, I mean, I'll ask him. Do. Somebody should answer that because if there was no purpose to his firing, then why did we do it? I'll ask him on the show. Is Quasi doing the same thing you would do, Rick? Is he doing the same stuff? I'm just, there was a lot of excitement with Quasi and Kevin O'Connell because they would bring something different give to the table. Give them time. So far, there's been nothing different brought to the table. Just give them time. People did want Vikings analysis. Yeah, there's nothing. Look, some teams come out of the first round with less excitement. It's just the, it's, that's the truth. Other teams get shiny objects like A.J. Brown in Philadelphia. Uh, uh, the, the story of this year, I thought the story of last year was partially the Rams move for Matthew Stafford, and that was like the biggest storyline coming out, and, and it ended up in a Super Bowl, which, which was amazing, you know, that that all happened after a very good team got aggressive and went and got their quarterback. The story of this season, I think, is the QB, it's the QBs and the receivers on the move, of course, but then, like, what do we learn from that? Because all the teams that are getting these elite receivers don't have a top 10 quarterback probably. Like, so how much of the receivers the drivers? How much of the quarterbacks the drivers? There's so much here. And there's a bunch of teams in that storyline, so to speak. And the teams that I think are outside that storyline have some work to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it. The teams that don't have the elite quarterback or elite playmakers have a lot of work to do. You have to be so much better in other parts of your roster. And if you're not... If you're not moving your pass game forward, you're falling behind in today's NFL. That's it. That's okay. the theme of the draft. It's the theme of the offseason. That's where we are. And uh, some teams are moving forward, and some teams feel like they're, uh, they're not. Is that fair? Yes. Yes, it is. And that's what you're saying the Vikings are doing. Correct. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's fair. Not even treading water, just spinning in a circle with a broken oar. Even the Titans must feel like that a little bit. Titans... Any team that drafted a guard. Yeah, but the Titans, like, it, it's easier to feel okay with that when you came from a position of being the number one seed in the AFC. True, but every other team in the AFC got so much better this no, year. No, I know that, but it's still easier to talk yourself into that being an okay thing than, like, Minnesota, who literally fired people because they weren't happy with where they were and are, yeah. repeat, are, are completing a playbook to get right back there again. 
All I know is I appreciate all of our live YouTube viewers. We have over 2,400 people sitting here live watching us right now at 1.30 Eastern in the morning. Probably a lot of West Coasters here, but there's some East Coasters, right? Just staying up, take work off tomorrow. Who cares? Sure. And we're just going to be here all night. That dude with the, like, seven-screen setup, that guy's not working tomorrow. No, no. I mean, his job's just setting up his seven screens, writing a program for that. Got to get him setting me up as well. Is that it? Is that our round one recap? Yeah. Because we got stuff to do. Yeah, we do. Elite 50. That's not it. Draft 50. Fifty percent. I'm losing it. I'm going to start right. saying all the wrong stuff because it's 1.30 Don't in the morning. Don't use that promo code. Draft 50 is the real promo code. 50% off over at PFF.com. No running backs went in the first round. No. One QB and zero running backs mm-hmm. and a million receivers. I imagine if one Today's running back and zero NFL. QBs. Yeah, shout, shout out if you're on the East Coast over here. Nobody, no, there, was there any buzzing in today's show? Let us know if there's any buzzing because I'm unplugged. I'm going to plug it in the other room. Sorry, God, there was buzzing. I'm going to murder you. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. It's a round one recap. We're going to be back. We're going to have to knock out four podcasts Monday through Thursday next week. Two divisions per recapping all seven rounds of the NFL draft. And then uh, tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, tonight. Friday night. Night two of the draft. They're letting me on the live show so you can tune in tonight. I know you missed it last night because we weren't there, right? All the people were asking for us, Sam. Mm. They were asking. But uh, yeah, we'll be live Friday night and Saturday. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We're out of here.